Our scripture from today comes from the book of 1 Kings. But before I read the scripture, let me give you a little bit of background of what happens right before this. So right before this, it comes after one of the greatest victories in the Bible. The prophet Elijah challenges 500 prophets of Baal, a fake god. So they set up two altars, one to the fake god Baal and one to the god of Israel. So the followers of Baal begin to ask for fire to come down from heaven as they put a bull on that altar. They dance around and they do all kinds of crazy things and nothing happens. So Elijah then prays to the God of Israel and instantly fire rushes down from heaven so hot it consumes the entire altar so hot the dust is still burning and it consumes all the prophets of Baal. All 500 of them. But after this massive miracle, there is no big revival. There is no rush of people wanting to be faithful to God. Instead, there is this huge, massive victory, and all Elijah gets is a death threat. So, he runs away. And that's what brings us to our text for this morning, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 4 through 9. But Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked. And there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. What are you doing here, Elijah? As a general rule, God does not ask questions because he doesn't know the answer. God knows. But the point of asking is to make whomever he's asking answer. In this case, to make Elijah say where he is and why he's there. Why he is alone in the wilderness, sitting under a broom tree, asking for God to let him die. What are you doing here? And Elijah says to him, you know, I've been pretty faithful, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They've abandoned your churches. Now they're killing your prophets. I'm the last one, and I feel alone. Elijah has just had one of the greatest triumphs of his lifetime. God worked through him to perform this unbelievable miracle in battle, 500 against one, with an impossible task. God doesn't just show up. 
He shows up and shows out. All 500 of the bad guys die in a giant flash of fire. But then, about a week later, Elijah is alone in the wilderness, sitting under a broom tree, asking for God to let him die. He's done, tapped out, completely defeated. And God asks, what are you doing here? First thing to realize in this text is that this amazing victory, this huge public success coming right before this massive depression is not a coincidence. It is not a contradiction. It is the cause. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's this State Farm commercial. This guy is running up to a bus stop in the pouring rain just as the bus drives away without him on it. So he sits down, dripping wet, staring across the street. He's working hard at a factory job, punching in, punching out. Then on the bus, a stranger's backpack smashes his face. On the bus the next morning, at night, at work, punching in, punching out, waiting at the bus stop, staring across the street. Until the camera finally in this commercial shows what he's staring at across the street. It's a car dealership. And a voice tells us that while other insurance companies just see a truck, State Farm sees something you've worked really hard for. So the commercial finally ends with this guy driving past the bus stop in his new truck, the sun dramatically backlighting him in the light of a new day, a new day with his new truck. It's a smart commercial. We can all identify with that kind of hard work, the thankless hours, the exhaustion, working towards the thing, that thing we've been staring at across the street. But there's a reason the commercial ends there. It's the same reason romantic comedies usually end with the couple getting married. It's the reason why college commercials end with someone getting the most amazing job right out of college. It's the same reason that Elijah is sitting under a broom tree, totally defeated, a week after his miraculous victory. There's all this emotional energy, this hard work, the risks, the sacrifices building up to this exciting adventure, this huge event, the new truck, the fire from heaven. And then what? In a day or a week or a month, you realize most of the world is exactly the same. Play out that commercial for another five seconds. Where's our hard-working hero driving as the rising sun dramatically backlights his new life? It's back to the same old job, running errands off to pay bills. His life might be more convenient now with his new truck, but in a few weeks, life with the new truck is his new normal, and everything else stays exactly the same. But you see, the mistake isn't the truck itself. It's expecting the truck to do something it cannot do. So God shows up. He kills 500 bad guys in a flash, and everybody hears about what Elijah did and how amazing God is. Everybody knows who Elijah is. But you know what didn't change? Elijah is still lonely. He feels deeply, profoundly, completely alone. 
There might even be people around. Surely he has some friends, but he feels alone. No one fully understands him, even in a crowded room. So when God sets up to perform this massive miracle, Elijah is hoping this is going to fix his situation. It's going to get him some friends, at least some respect. But God's massive miracle did not do that for his life. You know, in life, I think we have this tendency to bank on the one thing. The thing usually that we're missing. If we get that thing, then life will be better because that thing is what I've been lacking. But then we get it, and then much of life stays pretty much the same. It's the contrast of that moment that gets us what we thought would happen and what does, how much we built up the thing, the event, the change, and after we get it, life is going along like it always was. The distance between where you should be, the distance between where we are told we should be and promised we would be after getting the job, after getting married, after getting that thing and where we actually end up, that distance can be a long fall. For Elijah, it lands him in the dirt. The high was so high, God's miracle was so awesome, and you know what happened? Nothing, really. Not for Elijah, anyway. All he gets after all that is a death threat. And the distance between how he thought his life would change and how much it did, the distance is so great. Elijah can't deal with it. Elijah thought God's miracle would fix all of his life problems, but that's not what the miracle was for. I watched a youth on a service trip many years ago, and they were trying to put a screw into a piece of wood. We only had so many drills, so he was doing it all by hand, cranking it by hand. And it got too tight, and he couldn't get it to go in. He was twisting, and he was sweating, and he was frustrated. So I see him walk off, and I assume he's going to find a drill. So I keep supervising other people who are working. But I get back just in time to see that this youth had not found a drill. They found a hammer, a large hammer. And I still remember the side label of that hammer reading Fat Max right there on the side. So he, he takes his hammer, and we had taught them all how to use a hammer because we were trying to teach them proper technique. So he's bent over, slightly awkward, and his arm goes all the way back to get a full range of motion. And in slow motion, I yell from across the work site, No! As the hammer started swinging. Smashed right into the screw, but the screw's rounded head meant the hammer slid right off of the side, crashing into the drywall that was just put up right behind it with enough force that the whole head of the hammer and half the handle ends up sticking out of the wall. My wonderful, beloved, precious, and brilliant youth looked up in shock and said, What happened? What happened is you're using the wrong tool to solve the problem. Elijah is lonely, and he tries to use a miracle from God to fix it, but this miracle, the fire from heaven, that was the wrong tool to solve this problem. Here's another example. 
I'm imagining this will be the only time you ever hear Britney Spears quoted in a sermon. To be honest, I hope it's the only time I ever quote Britney Spears in a sermon. But this gets at the point. There's a song named Lucky. If you've never heard of it, you can all go find it this afternoon on YouTube. And this is how it goes. Early morning, she wakes up. Knock, knock, knock on the door. It's time for makeup, perfect smile. It's you they're all waiting for. They go, isn't she lovely, this Hollywood girl? And they say, she's so lucky, she's a star. But she cry, cry, cries in her lonely heart, thinking, if there's nothing missing in my life, then why do these tears come at night? If there's nothing missing in my life, then why do these tears come at night? Because surprise, being famous won't make you less lonely. You don't need an oversynthesized song by Britney Spears to tell you that. Elijah can tell you. Here's what we need to notice about Britney Spears, though. She sings this song back in 2000. Then her career collapses, and she's so desperate to get it back, she claws her way back to fame and lands herself in rehab. She sang this song. She literally sang about how the things she was doing would not work. It's the wrong solution to the problem. She looks to fame to fill her loneliness. We're not all that different at times from Britney Spears. That's frustrating, I know. When we don't feel accomplished, we think, well, maybe more zeros in my bank account and more recognition at work, that will fix it. Or I'm scared about my future, but if I just get into that college, that particular one, I will be fine and have the perfect job. I can't be everything my family needs. But if I can buy them the right things and get them the right things, that will make up for it. It's the wrong solution. It's the wrong solution. So even when we accomplish it, even when we get the thing, it sends us hurtling off a cliff of disappointment. We end up smashing a hole in the wall with a hammer. And when God finally finds us hiding under a broom tree because we've convinced ourselves that this new thing was going to fix the problem, he looks at us and goes, what are you doing here? Again, didn't you try this already? Did you really think this time it would work? The church is often accused of being very abstract, very spiritual. We provide spiritual solutions for spiritual problems. That is our realm. But I want us to notice how profoundly non-spiritualized God's response is to Elijah. He finds him hiding under a broom tree, hungry and exhausted. So God sends an angel to feed him, and he lets Elijah sleep. And the angel wakes him up and feeds him again for the journey ahead. The angel leads him up to a mountain, into a cave, and at some point Elijah realizes this is not just a mountain. It's the mountain where God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, and it is not just a cave. It's the cave where God revealed his presence to Moses. 
And after all of that, God does something profoundly crazy, completely unexpected. He sees that Elijah is lonely, so he finds Elijah a friend. He sees that Elijah is lonely, so he finds Elijah a friend. So much of life is built around big moments, a new job, graduation, marriage, birthdays, retirement, but so much of actual life is lived in the small day-to-day. It is so hard to go from spiritual highs and awakenings or an exciting new thing to the simple everyday tasks that we're obligated to do. And in those moments, it is so easy to crawl under a broom tree, to hide feeling alone or sad or bored with life or even depressed. And in those moments, God comes and he finds us and goes, what are you doing here? Are you using fame to blot out your loneliness or your family to make you feel whole or your job as a measure of success? What are you doing here? Sometimes at this church, we get fire from heaven miracles. And those are great. But we all know that after a spiritual high, life goes back to normal. The good news is that God is not just in the fire from heaven moments. God is in our daily lives. And some days, God's biggest miracle is to provide us with food, with water, with rest, and with friends. How often are we sitting under a broom tree crying out, God, where are you? Where is my fire from heaven miracle while God is feeding us? our daily bread. So this fall, we hope you'll join us. Join us for Sunday school, for worship, for Bible study. Join us for children and youth. Every once in a while, God will send a fire from heaven miracle our way. But every day, every single day, God will provide for your every need. And that has got to be the least recognized miracle I know of. So come. Come and find food, find rest, find friends, and find God. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for the moments where fire comes down from heaven and we can feel you so near to us where we can feel your presence in us. But Lord, we are also grateful for the day-to-day things we have to do. Lord, for work and for school, for taking care of family, for raising children. Lord God, we pray even in the day-to-day, we might see the ways you provide for every need. We might see all the small miracles every single day that you do for us. And that we might pause just for a moment to give you thanks. Give us eyes to recognize you when you are sitting right beside us. In your name we pray. Amen.